When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I got married to that trade. That's the last thing you should ever do, is get married to a trade. Don't ever think that a big assumption that you may have is right. Don't ever marry yourself to a huge assumption. You should always say, hmm, you know, is that assumption correct? I mean, uh, you know, uh, maybe not. What the hell, I'm out, and that's it, and lick your wounds. Hi everyone, welcome to another edition of My Life in Four Trades. Joining me today is Jay Janner, Head of Quantitative Investing at KPTL. Enjoy the conversation. Hi Jay, welcome to My Life in Four Trades. Well, hi, how are you, Maggie? I'm doing well, thanks. And I just learned that you're joining us from Rome, um, so everyone can sort of fantasize for a moment because it's almost everyone I talk to, it's their favorite place. So we're so thrilled that you could be with us. So before we jump into your four trades, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? Where did you grow up and what were your early years like? Wow. Yeah, well, that that would be a long story, but let me cut it very short. I, I grew up in many countries. I was born in Brazil. Uh, I have a Swedish father, an Italian mother, and I lived in Brazil, Argentina, France, England, United States, and now, well, semi-Italy. Uh, semi, half the time here, half the time in Brazil. <laughs> That's amazing. So you're, you're, you're a real global citizen. Yeah. You belong everywhere. So it's very unique. I mean, not everyone has that sort of very, you know, multilingual, multinational mm-hmm. view from such a young age. Do you feel like that had a big impact on you? Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, you know, I, I guess I look at things from many different angles, you know, especially people, right, themselves. I mean, I, I don't know where I'm from. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> Sometimes maybe that's an advantage. We seem to be getting really tribal these days. So maybe it's, maybe it's good to be able to float above that. Yeah. Uh, so were you were you very clever when you were young? Did you did you do well in school? Did you know that sort of investing in finance was something on your radar, or was this some something that came to you much later in life? Yeah, much later. When you grow up in Latin America and then in Europe, you tend to be educated in a sort of a more academic or generic way. You know, less business and more. You know, let's learn about different subject matters. So I was actually good at math and physics. And then so, so was I clever? I don't know how clever I was. I think I, I was a relatively good student. I think I, I knew what I had to do at school to do well. So I was organized. Yeah, we call them executive skills these yeah, days because ex- <laughs> I have two teenagers. How are their executive skills? I was good at executive skills. Yes. I think that's a, that's a good way to put it. And, um, you know, so I went to school, for example, in England. I was in a boarding school in England. I, I went to college in the States. And uh, I had no idea what I was going to do in life. Um, I mean, I knew that I wasn't good enough to become a physicist or a mathematician, that I, was a, I wasn't good enough to be a scientist. Uh, I knew that much. So actually, it was a very funny story. I actually sat down with a guy, with a friend of mine, doing an MBA at, at college where I was uh, at Cornell. And 
I sat down with him and I asked him, and he was a guy from Latin America, and I said, look, what am I going to do with my life? And he, and he said, well, do you know anything about anything? I mean, do you like a product of any sort? Do you like cars? Do you like airplanes? I mean, what what do you like, Jay? And I said, I have no idea. I, I like lots of things, but and nothing at all. I, I'm not too sure. So then he said, well, you're good at math, right? Yeah. Well, a product, one product you could think about is money. Oh. Because that's sort of like a mathematical thing. And I said, oh, yes. And so what do I do? And then he said to me, well, look, no, I'll tell you what you do. You get a job in a bank because that's where money is. You get an MBA because you didn't study business. So you might as well go back to studying some, some business. And then you get a job on Wall Street. I go, oh, that's it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just do that. And I go, okay. And what kind of a job in Wall Street? I go, well, you're sort of a mathematician. So this was the late 70s, right? This is 79, actually. Yeah. I says, you're a mathematician, and now they're using math to do stuff in, on Wall Street. And I said, oh, really, really? Yeah, well, so just become a trader because, you know, that's where money is, is traded. And I go, great. Thank you so much. And I did exactly that. I got a job at Citibank. I did an MBA. I went to Wall Street and got a job as a trader. What a good friend, actually, to to sort of have that. Because, correct me if I'm wrong, but in the late 70s, Wall Street didn't really have that sort of allure, masters of the universe. Right. I mean, stocks had pretty much gone sideways the entire 70s. This was not the sexy destination to make your millions that everybody thinks of it as, sort of in the later decades. Plus, I had no idea. So what I started to have an idea when I was at business school, I mean... When I was at Citibank, my little my job right after college, I was in the planning department. I had no idea there either. That was sort of, you know, a kind of a nerdy job. And then I did an MBA. And MBA, I started to get a feeling because I, then I met other people that had been traders or, or, or had done investment banking, which is something that just required a little bit too much work, in my opinion, or, you know, yeah, and, and so I just said, no, God, no. I, I, so I kind of said, all right, trading, but what do I trade? I mean, what, what am I going to start trading stocks now or something? And then that's when I took a class on option pricing, option pricing theory and all that stuff. And I had a friend, I wasn't particularly brilliant, but I had a friend who was, and he teamed up with me in that class. And he, he had his first little HP, which was a little box. This was 1983 a little box, an HP, and he did, we did programs together on pricing options. So then when I got my first job as a trader, I said to, my, to the treasurer at, at Lloyd's Bank, I said, hey, um, you know, this is, uh, maybe we can start trading options. And he goes, options on what exactly? And what, what do you mean? And I go, and I brought out my little box. And I said, you know, I, I did this little program here. And uh, I, I was totally wrong, by the way, in the way I analyzed <laughs> options. I had no idea what I was doing. Neither did anyone else. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I still don't have an idea what. But so I, I said, uh, but, but, and this was the, there were new products happening very fast at that time. And there was these long-term interest rate options uh, called CAPS. On, on short-term rates. And they had just been, you know, only two or three uh, Wall Street uh, firms had them. So I said, well, what if I do this and we become market makers in this? And then uh, he goes, well, okay, I have no idea what that's all about, but I tell you what, well, we've got a professor to sign off on your formulas. And then when you start, start very small. And I go, yeah, great. 
Uh, and that's what I did. And actually, what, the, the, the very funny thing is the very first trade, I didn't even have time to switch on the computer. I, I, well, actually, the computer was switched on, but I had no idea what volatility I should be charging for these options. So I was, you know, I sort of stood back and I had this screen full of buttons. At that time, you had buttons to all the brokers. And they started flashing on Monday morning of that fateful Monday morning when I, I said, we are market makers. Lloyd's Bank is now market <laughs> makers in interest rate caps. And it was me and a couple of, of, of programmers. And that was it. And I was sitting in my desk and then I got a call and Lehman Brothers, guy from Lehman, wasn't even, didn't even come from a broker. Lehman Brothers guy says, where do you offer 100 million 10-year 10s? And I go, excuse me? Okay, Jay, let me be quite clear here. Where do you offer 100 million 10-year 10s? I says, 100 million? Yeah. I mean, you're Lloyd's Bank, right? And I said, uh, just a minute. Uh, just let me. So I get hold of Solomon Brothers. I hit the Solly button. I go, where do you offer the 100 million 10-year 10s? And so he gives me a price. I start, like, handling these two phones. I had no idea what I was doing. I'm like, oh, my God. And before I know it, I do the two trades, right? So I make half a million bucks. Oh my right? gosh. Arbing, Lehman, and Sally, because they were not talking to each other for some bizarre reason. I think it's because they were talking to the same client, maybe. Mm. I don't know. I still don't know what happened. But <laughs> so the treasurer walks into the office and goes, Hey, Jay, how are you? Good morning. Hey, did you start trading today? Have, did you do anything? Did you talk to anyone? I go, yeah. And I was still looking at the faxes, right? Trying to check. I <laughs> sold this okay and i bought this and, and i i'm like uh yes sir i did two trades sir so <laughs> how much did you do two 100 million dollar trades sir <laughs> excuse me you did what well uh okay jack joe uh paul everyone in my office right now so <laughs> so everyone's inside the office and i'm like Holding these two faxes like this, I, I, sir, I, I, but I think I did the right thing, you know. So they looked at it. They, they all stared at this stuff for like 10 minutes. And then they look at me and they go, okay, this is a good business. <laughs> I like this business. And I go, thank you, sir. It, it's extraordinary that you were able to do that as like a newbie coming in the door. You pitch them this idea. Nobody really knows these these markets are brand new. Yeah. And then you, I mean, it's like a scene from a movie. Yeah, it was, it, it, it was incredible. I was... You know, I was like, I'm still shaking now, remembering the, what I was doing. And then I left that. I was like this. It's like, I don't know what I've done. I, I'm not too sure. I didn't even search on the computer properly. I mean, I, I had no idea. Uh, so, so this is what happened in the 80s. In the, well, no. Excuse me. That was the best. That was the easiest trade I ever did. And it's not even one of his four. Yeah, it's not. Uh, exactly. I forgot about this particular trade. <laughs> I mean, as harrowing as it was, sort of being in there with the two phones, did that success give you confidence? Or did it make you feel like an imposter? Because <laughs> it could do both. Yeah. I, of course. Uh, yeah. In fact, I, 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 I'll tell you another funny story. I hired a very, very intelligent young French guy one time in another bank later on. And again, we were still driving trucks through all of these different bid offer spreads of these different products and so on. And he stopped me after about a week of being in the job. And he was a very, very correct young man. And he stopped me in the corridor and I was alone with him. And he goes, Jay, can I say something to you? And I'm like, yes, Patrick, what is, what is it? You are an imposter. 
I said, oh, and then I burst out laughing because in a sense, he's right. You know, he's a philosopher, you know, he studied philosophy and all that. And he's probably right. You know, we're all kind of imposters in a way. You just have to ride the wave, be the right place in the right time. And, you know, you don't have to be brilliant. I, I, you know, it's just, I guess, yeah, choose the right wave at the right time. Yeah. So let's let's jump into your first trade of the four that you picked. And that is one of your best, and that's being long Brazilian stocks in 1996 when the Brazilian economy was opening up. Right. And you were betting big on the telecom sector in particular. Right. So set the scene for us, like what's happening in your life and your career. Now you're, you are in equities. Are you yeah. still at an investment bank? Are you in London? What's happening? No. Until 96, I was in New York. I was at Morgan Stanley. And, and, and I was in charge of the Latin American equity derivatives desk at Morgan Stanley. And then I was hired away to go and manage the treasury operations of a hedge fund, a very big, important hedge fund in, in Sao Paulo. So that was exciting. It was the first time I was in a hedge fund. And I learned a lot from these guys because, you know, when you are on Wall Street, you really are not allowed, you don't really take if you're a, deri a derivatives trader, that is, you don't really take positions, uh, you know, directional views, right? I mean, you're just, you, you are, but in a very indirect, you know, you're trading volatility, stuff like that, very technical stuff. Whilst here, all of a sudden, I'm sitting with these guys making a lot of money. And in 96, Brazil had opened up, Brazil had opened up already two years before, but it was bubbling. So it was really bubbling. And the telecom sector had just been uh, opened up. So it was a monopoly before and it had now anyone could compete for, for, for that. And, and these new companies were coming out. And then all of a sudden, I'm sitting next to these guys who were saying, hey, you know, I'm putting a million bucks into this, into this new company. I'm like, you're doing what? Just like that, just just Jay. They're opening up the sector. Brazil's booming, and the monopoly is all over. I mean, and this is the best place company. So I said, "Oh, okay. Well, I'll I'll do the same then." And that was probably my second best trade of my whole life because you know I within six months I I doubled or tripled my money. I forget now. It was like some huge uh, you know return very fast. So is it your own money that you're putting in, or is it the hedge fund? No, no, that was my own money. Yeah. That must have been a little scary, though, because even if you're hearing it's the, you know, and especially in emerging markets, I mean, you know, they can be volatile. Things happen. Yeah, but that's when I understood that some of these guys got really rich doing exactly that, mm. having the courage to of conviction, in a sense, uh, and uh, something that I hadn't really done myself. I mean, I was kind of cautious. For my personal money, I was kind of cautious. Plus, when you're working on Wall Street, you're really not allowed to do that. a lot of this stuff, right? True, uh, right. I mean, I couldn't be trading Latin American stocks. I was in charge of Latin American equity derivatives at Morgan Stanley. I couldn't even trade Latin American stocks. So all of a sudden, I'm sitting in a hedge fund, and they're like, well, we either put this in the fund, or I'll tell you what, I'll put 10 million bucks into it myself. I'm like, you can do that? And you're, gonna, and you're doing that? And it's crazy. That's, yeah. And then all of a sudden, the guy's like, ah. I just made, you know, $30 million. I'm like, you did what? So, and in Brazil, that's the kind of returns you were getting for, you know, that didn't last that long. It was like a year's worth of boom. And then, of course, then, I mean, Brazil is up and down, huh? Mm. Right? It's tricky. Yeah, well, that's why that's why it seems like such a risky move, because even if you could see what's in front of you, I mean, for, as you well know from watching these markets, in emerging markets, you have so many factors, and the economic business ones can make a whole lot of sense, and then a political, something political happens. Absolutely. Or something 
out currency that has nothing to do with anything having to do with the country. And then you suddenly see capital flight or something like that. So there's a huge amount of risk involved in that. A lot. But what I think my luck is that the, the, the money that I put into it, I could afford to lose a piece of it. And also, I think I started making money very immediately, mm. meaning within days of me having, you know, I was already up 10%. So then you you slide your stop up, right? And you go, okay, I'm up 10% already. If I go down to, to where I was, I came in, I'm all right. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you're up 20, 30. And you're like, what? And then, so then it's a question of where to get out. And then, and then th that's when I learned a lot from these guys too, because they were following the politics. They were following everything that was going on and so on. And they said, okay, this is it. You know, we doubled our money. Okay, let's get out. Uh, we're out, you know, they're not, none of them were long-term investors in that for, for the telecom stuff. It, that's one of the hardest questions that people grapple with who come on is how to, if you're in a winning trade, when do you know when to get out? Yeah. Well, one is that I was lucky that the percentages we're talking about were huge. So quickly. So, you know, if you're up a hundred percent very quickly within three months, and then you say, oh, do I go for 200%? There's a moment when you go, ah, eh, I'm, <laughs> you know, uh, so that's one. And two, I was surrounded by really clever people who were following the politics, the uh, everything that was going on. And if they started hearing something that, that didn't sound good, they would they alerted me. And they said, yeah, uh, I don't know. Uh, I'm like, you don't know anymore? Okay, that's it. I'm out. Um, so, yeah, so it helped. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. So, what do you think you learned from that trade? Well, it was really the first time I was really immersed in, in, a, in an emerging market directional trade. And so, therefore, the politics and the risks uh, involved. And I didn't learn anything about risk, in a sense, because I was immediately at a profit. Mm. I was lucky. I started off immediately at a profit. So, ah, I just slided my stop up. And, you know, oh, it's like, ah, oh, when do I get out, guys? Uh, are you getting out? Yeah? Oh, all right. Uh, <laughs> so, it, it wasn't, I didn't really learn much. To be honest, I it's like I being know. in the right place at the right time. Yeah, and listening to people uh, that really uh, followed the stuff better than I did. So listening to others is, I think, perhaps. Yeah, I learned that. Yeah, and understanding who has the their finger right. You know, you may not know, but if you can identify and listen to those smarter around you, which we talked about with your right. French imposter, <laughs> is a is an important an important skill set. So your second trade is an automated long short trade in top crypto coins from 2017 to present day. So there's a there's a big gap here. So what were you doing between your big Brazilian win in 1996 to 2017 to the crypto? Were you did you stay in emerging markets? Was that your specialty? What were you doing in in those decades? Yeah. Well, it was mostly junk bonds for you know, practically, I mean, I, 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 in 2000, basically, I left that hedge fund and I started managing my own money. And, and I wasn't so, I mean, I wasn't that good or that 
crazy to start to trade, you know, I don't know, 60-40, right? The 40% stock portfolio mm. and the 60. I was much more sort of 90% junk bonds and a little bit of stocks once in a while in a very timing trade. And all of it in, pretty much all of it in Latin America. Which is is in itself, junk bonds are inherently risky yeah. and emerging markets are inherently risky. So why why did you decide to park yourself in that area of the market? The stock trades are all timing trades, right? So that's not long-term, uh, never. On the junk bond side, there are, for example, Brazil, after it opened up, their foreign currency reserves have been very good for many, many years, right? So we uh, Brazil exports a lot more than imports, right? And it receives a lot more money in, in investments. And that's just a, I mean, it's, it's been like that for 20 years. It's not, it's not new. So Brazil has no problem paying dollars, right? The question is, who do you lend to? I mean, if you lend to a small company, well, you got a, a, I mean, that's a problem. But if you lend to the government or if you lend to, to a government company, then you go, well, I mean, yes, it's junk because it is considered junk by the investment community of, you know, in general, because it's not a investment grade country. But how much, how much is it junk? I mean, will, you know, if a leftist leaning government came in, would they default? And I'm not too sure they would, they would want to default. They would default if they didn't have the dollars to pay, you know, like, like Argentina defaulted many times and uh, other mm. places, Venezuela and so on, defaulted many times for lack of dollars. But Brazil is a, special, is a country that doesn't have that problem. And it hasn't had that problem for 20 years. It did in the 80s, by the way. But it didn't have any more when they liberated the economy and they had a free-floating exchange rate, et cetera. So I was like, yes, it's junk. Yes, I'm getting, I don't know, uh, treasuries plus three or four, three, maybe three uh, percent. So, uh, but is it worth it? So I think it's, I think, I think some of the, you have to be, you have to know the economics of this country, but I think it's a pretty good bet if it's a government kind of backed. Yeah. Or if it's a very, very well run company, Uh, then, you know, like there are companies that export to China that are incredibly profitable and they're, they should be investment. If they had, if they were a U.S. company, they would definitely be investment grade, you see? Yeah. So anyway, so that. So in my opinion, the junks junks are okay. I mean, I'm not. I don't say that everyone. You have to know the country that you're involved in, the country that special each country, country by country, and of course, who's the issuer. Right, right. So, what attracted you to crypto? Ah, uh, that's a funny story. So, in uh, 2017, I'm minding my own business, painting and uh, taking care of my junk bonds. And maybe I should have stayed doing that, by the way. But that's a story for a little, a few, a little <laughs> while. But anyway, so my youngest, I have two sons in New York. And my youngest son, at that time, 26, comes to me and says, Dad, Dad, 2017. I just multiplied my money by five. Uh, I said, uh-oh, well, what did you do? <laughs> uh, and he goes, well, I just bought some Bitcoin and so on, you know. I go, son. Bitcoin? Uh, where do you keep this stuff? I mean, what is this stuff? Anyway, I mean, it's like, what is this? What's it worth? And why would you buy such a thing? And he goes, dad, I see, Dad. Okay, sit down. I think you need a bit of a lesson here. And so, But I was incredibly skeptical. I was like, <laughs> I mean, okay, blockchain sounds cool. It sounds like a nerdy thing. Uh, interesting. All right, maybe one day, whatever. And then he goes, no, 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 no. And he gave me a bit of a lesson. What I didn't buy into what he was saying. He's a directional crypto guy. I didn't buy into what he was saying, but 
I bought into the idea that it's a 24-hour market, quite liquid. At that time, a few, um, a few coins were already very liquid and had futures, uh, which I like because I can go short. Mm. And then I said, oh, wait a minute. Maybe I can use some of my old, I can bring out of my little uh, little, little HP my, box. Yeah, my little <laughs> box. Yeah, my HP box and so on. Some, uh, you know, long, short sort of formulas that I had for fun worked on before. And maybe they'll work. I don't know. Well, hey, that's what, so I hired a programmer for myself and I started off with a little bit of money. And I said, I will do a bet. I'll do a bet with you. I tell you, you do your directional trades and I'll do my long, short uh, quant trades. And let's see who wins. Ha, ha, ha. Well, unfortunately for him, we had crypto winter in 2018, right? So I, I didn't bring up the subject very much with him anymore, but I started making money in 18, 19. And so that, that was, that's my be the best trade I've done in my whole life is essentially doing the long shorts for the last four years. Amazing. Are you surprised that this ends up after working for what now sort of 30 years and whether it's for a bank or for work, you know, trading your own money, that that ends up being your best trade? Did that surprise you? No, it didn't surprise me that it was going to work. I didn't think the returns are going to be that high, though. But it didn't surprise me it's going to work because, you know, you're talking about stuff that's over 100% vol, which is also traded by retail. So when you, when you have retail over 100%, what you have is sort of the blind leading the blind, right? And when you have the blind leading the blind, essentially, when you have this sort of type of trading, the, these sort of models work very well because essentially these are trend following, you know, long short models are mostly tre uh, trend following. And so they, so trends establish themselves, right? And by the way, this is true, except this year. Yeah, I feel like every single person, whatever asset they're in, whatever trade they're doing, is the, the caveat is not this year. Not like this year. Nothing seems to be no, working. No, no, because this year, because, so what happened? And by the way, there's something else that, oh, but, so this, by the way, is my best trade and my worst trade. Why? Both together. How so? Uh, it's my best trade in terms of returns, not this year. Well, this year, zero. So it's not like I'm negative. I'm not losing, but I'm not making. So, all right, you know, I'm disappointed, but it's that's not what I'm getting at, by the way. It's not the return that this year is zero. It's that I got involved a lot. And the problem with me is because I'm such a nerd, you know, I kind of like, I, I was painting, I was happy painting and, and traveling and having a fun life. And uh, and all of a sudden, my son got me in back into the rat race. Well, rat race is the wrong word, but you know. This is actually your third trade. This is your this is crypto. The gains were your second trade and one of your best. Your third trade is one of your worst, and that's the fact that that success led you to start quant funds, right, over the last three years? Yeah, exactly. So I started, because, you know, at the end of 19, my friends were coming to me and says, hey, Jay, how, you know, what's your return? I go, uh, five times. Excuse me? What did you just say? <laughs> five times. Five times? So how do we give you the money to trade? And I'm like, well, I'm not going to start opening accounts and managing your account. So I'll tell you, all right, all right fine, fine. I'll open a, a, a fund, okay? All right. So that's what I did in June 2020. I opened my first fund, but uh, and then and then I discovered another way to make money with crypto, which was arbing, 
which is uh, essentially trading the spread, the future spread, right? Which is something that obviously I was very used to, which is just the, the spread between, between the perpetual futures and the cash. And so, and in 2020 and 2021, especially the first half of 2021, that stuff made a lot of money. And so essentially then all of a sudden I had six people working for me. Uh, I'm back to like, you know, coordinating uh, programmers and the cloud and this and that and opening funds and the lawyers and the, and, and clients. Uh, all of a sudden fund of funds started hitting on me. I'm like, oh, can we put money into, uh, I'm like, all of a sudden I'm back into, uh, Wall Street, uh, when, you know, I had retired. So that's kind of like, you know, I'm not sure, you know, you, you sometimes, wish something and maybe you shouldn't get it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe I should have just stuck to just managing my own money and just said no to my friends or something. I don't know. Why, why do you think you didn't though? Why do you think you, why do you think you were drawn back in? Yeah, that's, I don't know. I, is it an ego trip? Is it a, um, I'm not too sure. Not sure. Maybe, maybe it was just, e I just thought it would be easier. Maybe, I think that's also the case. You know, I just said to my friends, ah, Look, I'll just start a little fund and you just invest in the fund. That's a lot easier. Also from the tax perspective, it was a lot easier for them and all that. So I'm like, uh, I'll just do that. And I, I'm sure I'll figure you know, it can't be that hard, et cetera. But it does get hard because when you, when you have the responsibility of managing other people's money, uh, your risk controls have to be very tight and you have to. Uh, and I started the first fund, which was more of an ARB fund because I wanted to have lower volatility. And I said, guys, I'm not going to give you the kind of all that I see in my own account because I don't care if I'm down 20%. I doesn't, you know, especially if I'm already up 50, right? But hey, you know, but you guys know, I'm, I'm so I started an art fund and then I started another fund, uh, you know, more risk, et cetera, et cetera. And now I'm in my third fund. I started a third fund this month. It's like, I'm so sorry. Well, you, so you're telling me this is your, you're, you're so aware that this is your worst trade and you've been pulled in and away and you keep starting funds. Yeah. <laughs> well, the third, because, you know, now, now, for example, the third fund, I'm, it's a directional fund and it's a Web3 fund, right? So it's like, oh, there are these new things happening, these new tokens going mm. on. And you could, and by the way, the market has dropped a lot. So maybe you can get them in the cheap now. I'm like, uh, but I don't know how to pick those. So, uh, uh, and so how do I, and then, and then I meet a cousin that I had never met in Brazil. And he's like, well, I've been following these protocols for quite a while, Jay. I'm like, oh, I can't believe laughs. Man, you're going to do it. You're going to, you're going to, you're going to pick the coins and I'll manage the risk. And, uh, and I get all excited and then I'm like, and now I'm, uh, and, and then yeah, I go through all the legal stuff. And uh, anyway, uh. finally we started this fund this month. So a lot of work, but uh, it, it's fun. It's kind, fine. But, you know, I haven't had time to paint and, and to do a lot of other, t other stuff. It does kind of consume your life, doesn't yeah. it? Especially it seems in the crypto side of things. Yeah. And, and you know, crypto is, is such a mystery and it will continue to be a mystery to even the crypto people. It's just a totally, who knows what Web3 is going to be like and what, People are going to invent and, and the crashes and crashes are like, oh, my God, uh, you know, we're going to we just 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 went down 70 percent. It's like, why? Well, uh, because Nasdaq went down. I said, what's that got to do with Nasdaq? Crypto is supposed to be separate or something. And it's like, is it? I don't know. Is it? So it, it, it's like all very it's high volatility. It's very high volatility. So you got to you got to be cautious and you've got to have not too much money in it. Yeah. I mean, that you can't, you know, your own money, careful. You have to, if you want to put some money in crypto, put a little bit. It's, it's play money. It's not, 
it's I, I, of course they say that the future of the world is going to be blockchain and 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 crypto and tokens and all that. I, I yes, I maybe I don't know. I'm I'm not even that. I don't even know enough to be honest to know if that's the case. The thing is, I don't do that kind of investment. Well, the new fund maybe a little more, but. Uh, I don't do that. You know, I'm not going to buy Bitcoin and sit on it for the next five years. You know, I just that's not mm-hmm. my style. Therefore, I'm subject to short-term stuff. You know, it strikes me, sort of listening to people, that they don't talk about it in the same way that they talk about other assets. They're so passionate about it. They feel like they're part of a community. That there's all of this other stuff that's involved in it. Does that seem? dangerous to you? Does that make it hard? Because you, you, you're you're sort of talking about it in this really sort of slightly detached way. Yeah, I'm, I'm more detached than that. I'm older and I've seen lots of crashes. I've seen lots of strange things, you know, long-term capital, Lehman Brothers. I worked at Lehman. Uh, I mean, I, I've seen a lot of strange people that, or no, not even so strange, just people that claim that this is the great you know, we can't go wrong with this trade and that trade or this asset and that asset. I've seen that a lot. But I'm not saying that crypto is going to collapse and, and disappear. I don't think so. I, I But I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be around to see, you know, 30 years from now what crypto is going to become. I just, all I need to do is make sure that the short-term risk that I'm taking is properly hedged, et cetera, and that I have good formulas and that the market doesn't become like, terrible and then we don't can't make any money uh which is what this year is turning out to be yeah you know sorry but i don't want to lose any i yeah i don't want to lose money for my for my investors my friends mostly um i really don't want to lose money for them or myself but uh but what, what can you do i mean if the market is is very very choppy it's very hard to you know to make money you're a podcast listener and this is a podcast ad Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Do you find this? It's very frontier, but you know, you you have some experience with that emerging markets. Do you find all of this? volatility and uncertainty and uh do you find it exciting or is it stressful like as you get older does do you do you feel like that sort of wisdom and experience you have makes it interesting and exciting or do you feel like oh god i just i don't have the stomach for this i think you know i tell you i'll I'll be honest with you it's exciting if you're making money (laughs) it's as simple as that if you're making if you're up one month you're like oh my god you know what you know, I'm a genius, uh, you know, hey, my formulas and, uh, you know, may, I'm not an imposter, but, you know, and then you're losing the next month and you're like, oh my, you know, like, oh my God, it could be choppy like that for the next six months. And then what? I'm, I'll be down 30%. This is terrible. And and what do I say? And what do I say to my friends? I, I You know, so it's, 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 if you do it for your own money, um, you know, maybe I, sh- I should have stuck doing it just for my own money. I mean, it's, I get worried when I'm managing other people's money. Yeah, there's a responsibility that comes with that. That's really heavy. Yeah. It's funny, you just mentioned imposter before. That was such a funny story to start start the podcast <laughs> off with. But is that a question that for you has come up through your career? I mean, did that stay with you when, when that fella said that and pop up from time to time? Or did you, because you laughed when he said it. Some people got would have been really insulted because he was young. And, you know, it's quite something to say that. 
Yeah, he was young. He had the guts to confront me. He had a job, a two-week job, for Pete's sake. And he confronted <laughs> me, and he had to blurt it out. You could tell that he had something, you know, he looked at me very intensely, and he says, I have to say, he was very nervous. I have to say something to you, Jay. Like, <laughs> oh my God, what have you done? And he had the guts to say that to me alone, to my face. Why did you laugh and not get angry? Uh, first of all, I respect him, because I think... I think we all have to look at ourselves in the mirror and understand our, you know, that we are basically, we're kind of ignorant people, we're extremely ignorant. I mean, if there's one thing that I've learned in everything that I've done, really, is that I don't know anything about, just about anything. I mean, math, was I good at nothing? Yeah, I actually did great, you know, I got an honors degree at Cornell in math. So what? It was, did I know anything about math? No, not when I talked to my Nobel Prize professors. Uh, in physics, I know any nothing, and would I be? And then what, you know, so we're like, oh my god! And then in business school, was I the best in 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 business? Did I understand how I was going to make a billion dollars after leaving business school after five years, like a couple of my friends did, by the way? Um, no, I had no idea. I know it's like, and so actually, I'm not particularly uh, brilliant, and or even particularly. Uh, you know, informed in a sense. But I, so all I all I can be is is, is agile, agile, and, and and kind of like, and and, and 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 honest with myself. So one of the best things you can be is honest with yourself. Yeah. So in a way, it's good that once in a while you look at yourself and you, and you at yourself in the mirror and go, maybe you are a bit of an imposter. So now adjust your formulas. Uh, maybe the market's different, Jay. Maybe those formulas don't work anymore. Maybe, uh, maybe you know, maybe you should look at other types of arbitrage or, you know, et cetera. You, you, you have to be really flexible. That is not an easy lesson to learn, especially for people who are doing well, making money. The idea that you constantly have to sort of test yourself or be open to the idea that you don't know everything is that's not an easy lesson. Yeah. I mean, there are a few, you know, phrases that you have to, I mean... You're only as good as your last trade, for example, to a degree that you have to keep in mind that, you know, there are moments where the markets are really favorable to you, et cetera, et cetera. But that doesn't make you a genius. It just makes you lucky to be there in the right time with the right capital and and, and that position, uh, for example. But that goes for just about anything in life. I mean, it, you know, if you're, um, you know, you chose to live in a nice place, in a nice area, in a house with a garden or something, you're lucky and all that. That's wonderful. You should be lucky, preserve that and learn that, uh, you know, that uh, not everyone has that luck and not everyone is, put, you know, in that place at the right time. And you're not a genius for doing that. Yes, you planned it to a degree, right? You planned it, you were, uh, etc. But hey, you're lucky that you have your health, you're lucky that, you're, that your brain didn't. <laughs> and so, so, yeah, so in the end, we're, you have to be, you know, you have to understand that we're, we're all not particularly, I mean, there are some people that are incredibly brilliant and have amazing yeah. lives, and actually people that contribute to this world. They are wonderful, of course, but, they, they, but for us mere traders and mortals, no. So your fourth trade is outside the world of crypto, but it's also one of your worst. And this is holding on to Evergrande bonds for too long in 2021. Terrible. 
terrible. Yeah, I mean, really, that was just terrible. I mean, I just bought these bonds. You know, here I am, you know, junk bond, uh, uh, emerging market junk bond guy. <laughs> Evergrande, the by far the biggest issuer of, you know, real estate bonds in, in the world, actually, um, and certainly China. And how could they fail? I mean, if they fail, the whole real estate market in China is going to fail. So how's that going to happen? Well, guess what? It happened. <laughs> and, and the whole real estate market in China is gone. I mean, basically. So, I mean, and who would have thought that China would even let that happen? That the Chinese government would let that happen? But guess what? It happens. And I wrote that. I just couldn't believe it. It was just the bond kept going down and down and down. And there I made a mistake. I, I, I didn't get out. My stop loss was way too... Too comfortable, and I kept saying, you know, it's like a rubber band. It's coming down. That it's about no, it can't be. It's just going to bounce back. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. I got married to that trade. That's the last thing you should ever do. Is get married to a trade. Don't ever, don't, don't ever think that a big assumption that you may have is right. Don't ever marry yourself to a huge assumption. You should always say, hmm, you know, is that assumption correct? I mean, I, you know. Uh, Maybe not. And what the hell? I'm out. And that's it. And lick your wounds. And could the impossible be possible? Yeah. That, or could the, the, it's such a small percentage, but is there any way I could be wrong about that? Because you're right. It's notoriously difficult yeah. to get information about what's going on inside of China. But this was, there wasn't a high probability on, on that happening. Yeah. I mean, 30% of the economy is real estate driven. And most of the companies in that market right now are bust. And yet, you know, everyone's still working. Every, you know, China is not in a recession yet. Maybe it, they, they will, but... Or they are and we don't know it. <laughs> yeah, or may, exactly. So it, so it's like, my God, they, they would allow that to happen? I feel like people said that during Lehman too, right? Though, like, who would have thought that those massive, right? And they did. Who would have thought? Yeah. But this is bigger, this is 30% of the economy. I mean, letting in, Evergrande is just one. I mean, then, then there's this whole bunch of them. They all went, and they're all technically bankrupt. Well, guess what? They're going to, they're going to, it's just, a, it's a different mentality because they just hush it all up and they just let the banks sort it out. And, and the banks are going to also be semi-bankrupt. But guess what? We'll just muddle through as long as we're giving the houses to the people. We need to finish the construction, give them the houses. That we need to do. But apart from that, the rest is just financial mumbo-jumbo. Uh, and some, somehow it'll get resolved over time. That's, I think that's the way they're handling it. I'm not too sure. You know, I'm just, it's obvious that I, I knew nothing about China. <laughs> it's, it's so funny. It's so funny the way you just say that, because very few people would admit that. Like, very few people would say, obviously, I was in way over my skis. It's obvious. Yeah. I mean, now, of course, I read back and I go, well, there's some people that were warning against this, you know, uh, Jay, I'm not too sure you read the right people. I'm like, yeah, obviously not. So what is your takeaway from this trade, you think? What do you, what's the lesson you learned here? Do your homework. Don't get involved, for example, with countries that you had no idea about. Um, that's one. <laughs> that's, a, that's a simple lesson. Another lesson is... Um, uh, you know, I mean, for example, in the United States, there are lots of junk bonds in the United States. And guess what? <laughs> Some of them are really are junk. The word junk is correct. So it's like, wow, well, I'm just going to buy a 10% bond, 10% yield bond. Well, probably there's something wrong with that company. I mean, in the United States, the price, you know, it's all priced much better. 
So do your homework. You got to really know that. You got to be very, very, very comfortable with that company that's paying you ten. And same thing with anything. Even if you're going to invest in a fund, or you, or even if if you're going to invest in crypto in, in in Bitcoin tomorrow, why? Why would you do such a thing? Actually, that's a really, really hard question to answer. Why would I invest in Bitcoin? Some people are like fanatical about it, and they think that Bitcoin is the is going to be worth a million bucks. I'm like, I have no idea. I don't think so. Why? Why would you? I mean, there are some arguments. I've heard all kinds of arguments. So be, you know, be more like, you know, I, I think you have to be more, for your own money, you have to be more like Warren Buffett, in a sense. Sort of really do your homework on individual investments. And it's hard to do that with tech-related stuff. Uh, I agree. I mean, you know, but, but uh, that's it. That's in essence. What advice would you give some of the folks who are trading in the crypto space and might be newer to this whole concept, brought into it through the technology or through some or through NFTs or through some of the things they're interested, what would be your advice to them? Well, don't get hooked on the trading as a game. Like you're just on the app. Oh my God. And it's going, you know, because that that tends to be, I think that's self-defeating. And it's sort of it's sort of like a drug. It's adrenaline and, and, and it kind of, of course, it depends on the kind of money you're talking about. If you're doing that for a few hundred dollars, okay, who cares? That's like playing a game, right? That's all right. That's not so bad. But careful when you, when you take it seriously and you think you're going to make a living out of it, you're going to make a fortune out of it. Well, uh, you've got to be really sure of the direction of that trade. I mean, you know, for example, oh, it's definitely a bull market. Everyone's in it. It's just, okay, fine. And then do it for a small amount of money. It's a very, very risky stuff. Uh, and, uh, you know, and then have stop losses, profit goals, and everything you, you do. Uh, have a, a clear goal of how much is good, how much is enough. Or at least slide your stop up so that if it's, you start making a lot of money, well, if it reverts, well, get out, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, anyway, have, have risk control because in this world, people that don't have risk control, that don't know how to trade, essentially, they leave the money on the table for, for who? For the bonds that do know, know how to do that. So we're just sucking. I mean, supposedly the professionals are sucking the money out of the people that don't know how to risk control. That's, in essence, what the game is all about. So be careful. I had a boss once who told me, you know what the hardest thing to get a person to do, a trader to do? And I go, no, what, what, what? Risk control or stop losses or no, 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 none of that. Sit on his hands. Because, at, you know, at that time in Wall Street, you had to press a button to, to trade, right? So it's just the hardest thing you get the guy to do is to sit on his hands, not to trade. That's the hardest thing. Be only trade when you're sure what you're doing. I mean, when you're very convinced of that move, then you trade. That's great advice. Jay, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on. Nice meeting you, Maggie. Thank you. Thank you for your time. All right, that's a wrap on this week's edition of My Life in Four Trades. For more on the series, visit realvision.com forward slash my life in four trades. Make sure to use the numeral four. 